Hello, Winternet! I'm Ewan Spence. And I'm Euro Bruno. And we've got a whole bang of numbers, spreadsheets and points to chat over with our coffee. Yes, good afternoon, good morning, good evening. It's another chat over coffee. The long summer months are ahead of us like some delightful Mediterranean sunset with some nice hot tea because I'm Scottish and we don't do cold tea beside me. Some interesting Portuguese side dishes and cakes and some great company joining me and you listening out there as well. Euro Bruno. So is your first name Bruno or is your first name Euro? Uh, Bruno. Euro is my middle name. <laughs> oh, you, whoa, I don't have a middle name. Um, I, I tend to use an X just because when I was at university, we needed three letters in our email address, otherwise the computer oh, yeah. would fall down. So I became E-X-S. There we go. So, Bruno, Portuguese Euro fan. Mm-hmm. You've had a good couple, like the last five years, Portugal's run has been really nice, hasn't it? Yes, it's been so great to finally see your own country succeeding and understanding Eurovision for the last few years because, I mean, personally, I have been a Eurovision fan since around 2009. So around that time, Portugal was doing decently, but not fantastically or just as good as it is right now. And we had a very bad run of results around uh, 2011, 2015 as well. So that was a bit disheartening. But then everything changed with you know the portuguese renaissance in 2017 and it's not like portugal ever changed anything because you know you look back at uh, someone like florida lee uh, 2009 who that was my first eurovision on the ground so just like ah it's a fantastic place and and that was just a fantastic song and i love the whole album We've said it often enough in jukebox tree but portugal just does portugal and if the rest of europe likes it great and if the rest of you doesn't like it, doesn't matter. Is, is that the feeling that Portuguese fans have? I think so too, yeah. We just end up sending whatever is most natural to us. I think we don't need to pretend like we have a different identity, if that makes sense. We don't need to go with what other countries are going. We need to do what we usually we need to participate with what we usually like, with what we usually listen to. And I think that's what we are doing. But And for the last few years, I think we have been doing it better. We have been understanding Eurovision a bit better. We have been um, having staging concepts better done at the actual contest instead of being more restricted. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, the the difference between, say, someone like Lenore, who would just, you know, sing on the stage and just occupy the space, but then you look at, you know, you know, Telemove was still a field to qualify, but the staging there was sublime. It's just a sort of, that should work. We want that to work. Doesn't quite there. And then the Black Mamba come up, and they've not only have they got staging, but they've got effects in the camera, and they're telling the story through the pictures as well as the music. And. And it all just kind of clicked. So, yeah, I do kind of get that. But the Black Mamba famously decided to sing all in English. How did that go down? Um, I feel like especially the international community felt a bit disheartened at that because Portugal is very, very known to be very um, conservative when it, t- when it comes to keeping its own language, its own tradition. 
but um and so are Portuguese people as well. I remember around 2017 when Festival da Canção, which is our national selection, first allowed for the first time English songs in the competition. Everyone was complaining about it because they they wanted it to be completely Portuguese. But at the same time, people need to write songs in whatever language they'd like, in my opinion, at least, because some songs are better uh are better sounding in portuguese some songs are better sounding in english some songs are better sounding in i don't know chinese whatever language the the artist feels more comfortable with singing in is whatever they should put through in eurovision at least what's your most comfortable eurovision song that you like then oh uh from all time that that's hard there's so many songs to pick from. I've never heard, I mean, I probably have heard songs being described as comfortable before. And the great thing is I've now just tried to ask myself that as well. I'm thinking, hmm. I mean, the obvious one that springs to my mind for me would be Unsubstantial Blues because there's just something about that there. Oh, yeah, I definitely yeah. think that. Uh, an, an interesting one that comes to mind would be maybe... Lithuania's song from this year, Sentimenta. It feels like it's uh, Monica's in her own world. It feels like it's so so different to what Lithuania has been sending in the last few years as well. They haven't sent Lithuanian in since 1994. That's insane. Yeah. And of course, this rich history of the song contest. It's like 1,600 songs. Quick, choose one that's comfortable. Yeah, I'm putting myself <laughs> on the spot there as well. <laughs> when, when did you start getting into all this Eurovision? When did you just jump on our crazy train? Uh, I watched it for the first time in 2009, but I think I only really, really started getting more into it in around, uh, let me see, 2014 maybe? Because that was when I, I think I uh, got more into national finals as well, got more into... Uh, listening to the Eurovision songs a lot before they were even released. So that's where, like, I think the turning point happened. It's like it became something that you found and discovered yourself and then everybody else found it. Yeah, absolutely. So what was it about Eurovision that drew you in? Oh, there's so, so many things about it. First of all, there's the musical aspect. I've always been very, very into music. I've always enjoyed listening to music, whether it's Eurovision or, non, or non-Eurovision. Also, the aspect of competition between different countries. I don't think we've uh, had that kind of concept before between uh, mostly European countries in this case. And also the voting, of course, like all the numbers, all the scores. That's what also hooked me a bit a bit more into the actual competition. There's now a whole bundle of people listening to the bodies. This is what we came for. <laughs> wait for it. Wait for it. <laughs> <laughs> okay right now let's go there but let's go there slightly to say why is it the numbers why is it the scoring attracted to you is it like is there something in your past that it's just you like Not numbers me. um i think it's just a very different voting system to all different competitions it's so uh marked down instead of like you know you have all these different um competitions where you just vote for your uh favorites favorite act favorite song and then there's, there's just like percentages and not points for from each country well with eurovision you you have that you have that not just with television but also with juries and that's just the best of both worlds 
I mean, is there any, did you follow any other sports or events that had the sort of idea of scoring behind it? Or is it just, nope, just Eurovision has lit that passion? I think Eurovision has lit that passion. I, I'm not that into sports, but Eurovision definitely uh, was what um, brought me more into that uh, passion towards numbers, I'd say. And has that developed outside Eurovision? Hmm, I feel like there were a few years where I did a few statistics regarding football statistics, but it wasn't like too big or something. It was almostly Eurovision focused. So when you get the the scores coming through on the night, are you enjoying that just as somebody at home is a fan or is your brain already trying to spot patterns and questions? How, how, like do, you, how do you, how do you, when you watch, I think what I'm trying to get is, do you watch the jury scores and the public scores coming out in a different way to just somebody enjoying the entertainment? I wouldn't say so that much. I'd say that um, as a person who has followed Eurovision before, I always try to come up with these uh, theories of how uh, song X is going to do, song Y is going to do, either with the juries or the televote. So I'm either, uh, sometimes when a song does worse with the televote or better with the televote than I expected, I do get surprised. But it's not, uh, I don't focus on the numbers too much. I'd rather leave that uh for after the show when it, then i go full maniac <laughs> when was the obviously 2019 will come to you in a second but was that the first year you went full maniac or were you doing it beforehand i uh remember that back in 2016 or 2017 i already had a few spreadsheets where i had the eurovision results but with different voting systems but it wasn't like too huge i feel like with 2019 it definitely lifted it up a bit you know did you go monster in previous in years before 2019 uh a bit yes i do like to go uh by different eurovision years sometimes sometimes i pick a random one and try and analyze a bit of the voting results of the jury rankings especially but the thing is the jury rankings have only been released since 2014 so there's not much work to be done yeah without the data you can't do the analysis and yeah let, let's turn to 2019 now when you did go big in terms of the analysis you did find some issues with the numbers that hadn't been spotted we'll talk about them in a second but what i want to ask you is how did it feel to be suddenly so visible it felt so weird it, it almost felt like it wasn't happening especially for someone who was so young at the time it felt like it was just a daydream or something and then the next day it would just end and nothing was happening. It was so weird to get so much visibility, not just from the community, but also from casual viewers who were uh, looking at what I had written about the Eurovision results and how they were wrong and the spreadsheet was turned the wrong way around. What was it like when you first saw it? Because there, there must have been that sort of moment of, oh, it's all fine, it's all fine hold on, that's wrong. Yeah, I remember the, I think it was the afternoon after the contest, I was, the first thought that came into my mind, okay, let's take a look into the Belarus jury results. That was the thing that marked me the most that night. So I went ahead and just uh, started looking at what could have been the possibilities they could have used for the, for the aggregate that they had supposedly 
said that was going to be used. And I saw that there were four countries in that same pot as Belarus had been allocated in January, I believe. So, so that the pot, was the pot used to dry at the semifinals, top and bottom half. Exactly. So Armenia, Azerbaijan, Georgia, and Russia, I believe. It was all, I think Ukraine was also in it, but obviously they didn't take part because of other circumstances. So I remember just inserting, uh, inserting every single country's rankings in there and just looking, oh, okay, so Malta would have got 12 with the system, Macedonia 10, Cyprus, okay, that's fine. That's just a, you know, another silly little statistic. But then I looked at the bottom and then I saw Israel was last. Uh, second was Estonia. Third was Germany. Okay, this reminds me of something. Let me check the real results. And the bottom 10 was the exact same ranking as the points that had, had been given out the night before. So I, that's where I noticed something was up. Maybe I was onto something here. What did you decide to do with that information? You've got it there. What do you do? What did I do? I tried to double check as much as possible just so I didn't, <laughs> I didn't just so I didn't get anything wrong. And that if I did publish it, it was going to be something fake and that the calculations were wrong or something. So I did that. So I took some time for myself to just uh, cool down and, you know, remember that this could be, this could have impacted the results, but I didn't know what was the EBU's intention behind that. I didn't know if it was just wrong, if it was just, uh, if it was just a coincidence or even if it was just, um, that, that they had, in fact, turned the spreadsheet the, the wrong way around. So, and then I posted it, and then madness unveiled. Must have been a real roller coaster emotionally to be on. Oh, absolutely. I remember that when that happened, there were there was like one or two weeks where I just couldn't sleep because all I could think of was that that happened, that moment happened, that moment happened that I had an impact on Eurovision results. Did you ever hear anything official about it? Yeah, uh, four days later when the EBU released a statement about it, but they never really credited me, which that, was interesting. Nothing's ever been said in a sort no, of... No, but, but what I do know is that uh, someone from a Eurovision fan website contacted me the day where that statement was released, and they said that uh, they sent they sent my Twitter thread where I, you know, mentioned everything about the jury results to the EBU in an email on Sunday, and then on Monday they replied back that they were going to check if what I said was right, and then on Wednesday they released a statement. So I can firmly believe that it was kind of my impact. How did, how did that make you feel? You had this thing that you loved, you saw something wrong, you said it about it, and it got fixed. But there wasn't a little tip of the hat or anything. It was just a mix of emotions. Uh, on one hand, I felt very euphoric because, you know, having such an impact on something that you love and care so much about is so, so, in a way, heartwarming and then charming as well. But at the same time, not being even credited on it and just... Uh, the EBU passing it by and making it feel like it was just they recognized their own mistakes without anyone telling them so, which was uh, awkward. I mean, I'll play devil's advocate for a moment, but 
maybe they'd already caught it. Maybe. Do you think, do, that, do you think that, there was maybe other layers that it's just like a couple of hours afterwards, you know, phoning up Yonola Sand at the airport going, we've got a problem, don't get on the plane. That is a possibility, yes, but I was the one who brought it up at the same time. They never talked about it any in any circumstance before I mentioned it. So I don't know. Maybe that is, in fact, the truth. But the thing is, if they had noticed the mistake, then why did it take them four or five days to release a statement on it? That's my big question. Did you get anything negative online uh, or anything like that? Oh, yeah, some people were, and some people still uh, do sometimes send hate because, uh, for example, Norway ended up sixth while Sweden ended up fifth and it was the Talbot winner. And that, then and they end up just putting it, putting the entire fault on me, which is a bit disheartening. But at the same time, I'm used to it at, by the time. And I just say, don't hate the player, hate the game. The rules were what they were. So I, I'm just trying to fix the results by the rules that they were supposed to be played on. So I'm going to skip forward now to this year, 2022, as we record this. Um, you've built up this mythical reputation of master of spreadsheets and some sort of Sherlock Holmes detective of the numbers going through. And uh, it's fair to say there's been some fun and games with the juries this year. And <laughs> all I remember mm. seeing online was, OK, right, we know something's happened, but we're going to wait for Bruno to tell us what it is. <laughs> Of course, of course. I'm responsible, you know, that, that feels like the community has given you a great responsibility. Yeah, it, it does feel like a huge weight on my shoulders. I remember when the, especially last year, when the semifinal one results came out and then Croatia came out as a surprise slash shock qualifier, everyone was saying, Bruno, you have to fix the results. You have to notice something. Something has to be wrong. Uh, and that also happened this year as well because of, uh, I remember one of my friends texted me during the jury voting results uh, about the statement that the ABU had released that I had no clue about because I wasn't checking my phone during the voting se segment just to enjoy the show more. And then she texted me about it and I said, what? What happened? And I just, I just had to go to Twitter. And then so many people were already mentioning me and telling me regarding the situation. Now it's just, oh no, here we go again. In one sense, that must feel quite fulfilling, knowing that people trust you enough to go, can you check this with, with all of the machinery around the song contest? But at the same time, it also kind of speaks to Fanman going, I, I don't understand. I, there needs to be an, a, a nice, clean, simple answer. Not really. I just tend to go through the numbers and just check everything at first and then uh the more i check the more i see you know all the patterns all every every in incoherence i guess so how do you feel this has been handled this year with the we're not going to take the jury vote we're going to do an aggregate jury vote i feel like they could easily just take those results remove those those results completely and just leave the other televote results alone and just insert them in place of the jury but at the same time i can understand that they wanted to make as fair as possible so 50 percent jury 50 percent televote it, it's just i just have mixed feelings on the system and how it's handled but at the same time i do have to give props to the ebu for handling you know the entire vote swapping allegations and also the um, 
the rumors regarding those six countries, but and that they have come down a bit in the last few years. But you can tell there's st still something there that is a bit interesting. That interesting is doing a lot of heavy lifting in that sense. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so, so let's I just leave. Let's let's leave it interesting, shall we? <laughs> yes. What what's impressive me is that the the action this year has been decisive. There hasn't been any. Oh, maybe maybe not. You know, it's just like. Well, if they're doing this, it must be an incredibly strong correlation, and not just some yeah. Greece and Cyprus thing or Azerbaijan Armenia thing. I mean, it, I feel like it's all just a question of perception, and that's just a um, question of personal opinion. But I do believe that some votes do seem weird. Some votes do seem like they were pushed by another broadcaster to vote in favor for their country. But again, that's just perception. That's maybe that's how they just voted. Maybe just. They just like the act. They just like the song. I'm not in the... I cannot access the minds of the jurors voting. What changes would you like to see next year? Mm. <laughs> it's just like, That's here, yeah, yeah. Let, let, let's give you a magic wand, Bruno, and give you mm. control of the entire system. I'd say at least more control over the jury voting. More... Um, just more investigation. I mean, there already has been investigation this year uh, regarding the way they handled the rigged results that were supposed to come out. But uh, yeah, more control on those five juries. There have been lots of people saying that there should be 10, maybe 20 juries per country. But at the same time, you have to think about countries like San Marino. It's most likely already hard to find five different people each year to assess these acts. So I'm, yeah, logistically speaking, I'm not too sure if that is an accessible concept. It might seem great on paper, but when you actually do it in reality, it might not come to fulfillment. Uh, so yeah, more control over these five juries, make sure that they are uh, possibly watching these on their own, not with the company, the company of all the others, because they can, you know, influence each other's opinions and we have seen that in so many juries that uh seem to have very very similar opinions to each other so i definitely think that should be a question that needs to be assessed also uh regarding uh voting accidentally voting upside down as we have seen in some uh years there should which, be which seems ludicrous it's just like you have this entire system it's just like how can you vote the wrong way Exactly. I feel like some people just don't read the rules and they just vote however they f feel like it's supposed to be voted for. I feel like this could be just very, very easily fixed. Like put a, a star uh, next to your favorite song or something or just explain why the song that you ranked first is the best one, in quote unquote. Yeah, because you've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Maybe it's wanting to do first, second, third, or maybe it's one point, two yeah. points. But that's a human interface guideline. Um, mm -hmm. I can't remember who said it. It might be better on the side, but just just right at the bottom, who your top vote was for. Yeah, that that would just easily fix so many things and would have fixed so many uh, jury irregularities. And around, I remember 2016, where you, we had that one Danish jury the one Danish juror who voted upside down and only realized it the night after the contest. Wait. 
Yay! <laughs> so full of fun and games. Um, but there are checks and balances in the system. We've seen some in 2022. Maybe we saw. Maybe we didn't see the check and balance that got put in after 2019. Mm. After after your publication and everything, but you possibly possibly there was one or two because we haven't had a repetition yet. Um, True. At least they've never. Well, they have made the same mistake twice in ranking them upside down. But there we go. We've we've already solved <laughs> that one for you, Geneva. You can have that one for free. Uh, what do you do next? I mean. Do you look forward to Eurovision now? Oh, of course. Eurovision is a very, very important part of my life. So, of course, I'm very, very looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to all the countries announcing if they're going to participate or withdraw, especially the the odd six out, and see how they're going to deal with this. Um, also, just how some countries might change their perspective towards Eurovision, <laughs> Germany, <laughs> Um also, how other delegations might switch up their selection methods. You, one may go from national final to internal selection. One may decide to have an online national selection. Who knows? We don't know. We'll just have to wait and see. So I'm very, very excited to see just how the season unfolds. And, and yeah, I'm very interested to see who's going to host it next year. There's already been an interesting debate over it. So, And again... Lots of things will happen, discussions, and then we, we don't need to see how the nuts and bolts work as a community. We just need to be told where to book the ridiculously priced hotels next year, um, yes. which will probably in about October, November. Uh, I'm pretty sure on that one. Yeah, it's been lovely catching up with you. I read so much online. Um, do you want me to finish with a Eurovision question or a cheeky question? Whatever you'd like. If you want, you can ask both. Oh, okay. Let's let's ask both. Let's go for the cheeky one first, then, shall we? Okay. How do you feel about that song in Encanto? That's oh, oh. <laughs> okay, I've actually never listened to it, <laughs> so I don't know how the song sounds. But it, it did seem kind of annoying at first when it was released. But at the same time, again, I've just managed to deal with it. Some people don't talk about Bruno, and that's fine. And out of all the Eurovision songs, what's the one the if I asked you to play your favorite Eurovision song right now, not in the not necessarily the best one, not the most successful one, what's the one you would want to play right now? Oh, okay. Uh, Denmark twenty seventeen. So where I am by Anya Nissen. Yeah. It's just it's it's just my type of song that I usually like to listen to. It's just very uh very cheerful, very uplifting, even though it is in the form of a you know female power ballad so i'd say that one well there we go then if we were a show that was out in the radio we could pay all the license fee for the money we would be playing that one right now <laughs> and i would probably back it up and probably play never alone as well from the national oh, final yes. the year before as well um but we can't so you're just gonna have to search for it on youtube uh, other <laughs> streaming video services are available bruno been great to have you uh on our chat over coffee so, Bruno, where can people find out more about you and follow your different fun ways of looking at Eurovision scoring? I think you just need to follow me or just check my account on Twitter, which is Euro underscore Bruno, where I do post a lot of threads regarding uh, different statistics systems and maybe creative ideas, you might say. So, yes, look forward to them. I may be publishing a few more in the next few weeks. Looking forward to it. You're Bruno there. We will have the link back to the Twitter account on our website as well. Uh, in case you missed Euro underscore Bruno. It's 
www.escinsight.com. One of those is more complicated than the other one. I don't know which. Take a pick. Uh, <laughs> thanks for moving along. Thank you for all your spreadsheet works, the number juggling, and everything that goes on there. Uh, and just another lovely way of looking at our song contest. Thanks for that. Thank you. It's been a great pleasure to talk about it here. Uh, and now you get to call for the guitars. Can you play the guitars now? It's Eurovision Chat over coffee with Eurobrunner was hosted by you and Spence. Find out more at www.escinsight.com, www.twitter.com slash euro underscore Bruno, and sportspatreon.com slash ESC Insight. Are we in before the smash? Yes, we are.